Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. She's the 17th president and only the second woman to be president of Yukon. We talk to Radenka Marek as she looks back over her first year in office and the challenges facing the school and its students. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. On September 29, 2022, Radenka Marek was officially named as the 17th President of the University of Connecticut, after holding the position of Interim President for eight months prior to that. She's only the second woman to hold that position in the school's history. On September 29, 2023, the school held an official inauguration ceremony for Marek to recognise her as President and her first year in office. I caught up with her ahead of the ceremony to have a candid discussion about the challenges she and the school have faced, as well as a look back over the last year and some of the new initiatives and events that have taken place. President Marek, thank you ever so much for joining us. Brian, thank you for having me with you and everybody else in state. So uh, congratulations. It is one year that you have officially been president of UConn, of course, before that, eight months as interim president. Tell us, how does it feel a year on? It's a fabulous feeling. You know, it's great honor. It's a, it is great that I had this opportunity as somebody who came to UConn as a faculty to provide this service and work with the leadership and many constituents with these amazing students that we have and achieve new high. I said you can. I'm just going to take you back on a little journey, if I may. If I've got my facts correct, 2010 is when you first came to UConn. So then we sort of like fast forward to you being named the interim president. How did that all come about? Was that something that you elected for or were you just voted in? I think people will be interested to see how that works. Thank you so much, Brian, for that question. So before becoming interim president, I was vice president for research since 2017. So I led the research, innovation, and entrepreneurship. And in in four years in that role, I had been able to double the research and significantly expand the research activity, innovation, the number of the starts up at UConn. And I think the board of trustee as well as the faculty felt that we need somebody who accomplished the things at UConn that can step in in this role and, uh, and bring us to the new highs. So you were basically asked to take up the position of interim president then? That's correct. And how did you feel about that? Because it is a big role. I mean, clearly you had proven your chops time and time again, obviously, as we say, since joining back in 2010. But still, how did you feel about being asked? You know, I really felt very honoured and humbled, but at the same time a little nervous because there is so many unknown things 
And no matter how much time you spend watching the presidents doing their job and being the part of cabinet, it's different when you step in in that role. And I had been part of the President Herb's cabinet and then President Katsoulin's cabinet, but still the shoes were huge to feel. And it was really something that I felt honored to do. And, and I wanted to give my best if this is what leadership saw in me that I can bring us to the new highs. So eight months, as we said, as interim president, uh, you are then named as the official president of Yukon. Again, just tell us how that came about. Was that a case of, did you still have to go through interviews? Because again, I think people are interested in these very high level jobs, which are very public facing for, you know, an incredible organization that Yukon is. But do you still have to go through like an interview process? Yes, I did. And you know, like, any great university it creates a lot of interest. I think at that time we have about 150 applications for the president's position and interview I think had been going uh, for for entire month. So it felt had been different levels where I had to come and present to search committee before it was you know, narrowed down to three candidates and before I was elected. You're not quite following in the footsteps, obviously, of the first female president, your friend Susan Herbs, because there was another president in, in between Susan and and obviously yourself. But how do you feel about being, you know, only the second female president for, as I say, this amazing organisation here in Connecticut? As I said, it's honour and it's a particular honour because almost 50% of our students uh, and 40% of our faculties are female. So if you have such a huge number of the females, then they are wondering what happened when it becomes goes to the leadership. And if you look the research institution, R01 research institution, only 12% of the presidents are female. It was a huge recognition for somebody who had been faculty, who had been in leadership roles, that board of trustee felt confident and trusted that, you know, I'm the best leader for institution at this time. I just want to take you back to something that was reported on. It was a, another interview you did with another media outlet. And it, it said in this uh, piece, I'm just reading it verbatim here. It said, University of Connecticut's president urges students to not let zip codes they were raised in define what they can and cannot do in life. Why did you say that? And what did you mean? Thank you for asking that question, Brian. You know, it's uh, I have uh, through my career at UConn in 13 years, I have many students coming to me and saying, I was born and raised at this zip code. I'm first generation student and I don't stand a chance of doing something in my life because this is what defines me. And my philosophy as a faculty and my philosophy as a leader, you define yourself. Sometimes circumstances are very challenging and hard. And that's what I always inspire students to do, despite of all you know difficulties that you and challenges you face in your life, look for the mentors, look for the faculty who will support you. And I tell to my students, look at, I was born and raised in the country that doesn't exist. English was not my native language. And I still believe that in every society, if I work hard, if I'm 
fully dedicated, if I'm team player, then you can succeed because people would like to work with you. And I always encourage them not to define the barriers, but set the goals that are very inspirational goals. Other than your own background, which you've just touched upon, do you also feel that you bring sort of like a European sensibility, so a slightly different sort of like outlook on, you know, not only the things that you do personally in your own life, but, you know, how you lead as well? I think I I bring sensibilities of different cultures and countries that I lived in, definitely European, but also Japanese, because, you know, I had to excel in that society and that society is very harsh for women. And, you know, I went to school there, lived there for more than 10 years and I proved to myself and to everybody else that society will accept you when you are hardworking, you are innovative, you are creative and you are team player. As you stepped into this role, you also saw research awards for Yukon and Yukon Health doubled. You know, how do you go about, you know, doing that? Because obviously it is a team effort, but clearly it it also lands squarely on the president of an organization to make sure the money's coming in. As I said, you have to be a team player. So you have to do assessment of your institution, of your team. You have to see what your faculties are striving to achieve. Then you have to bring those faculty to Washington, D.C., present them to program directors, different federal agencies, present them to industry, show the facility and capabilities that you have at home, and do negotiation and dialogues at the different levels in order to be successful. So it it requires a lot of outreach, both internally inside of the Yukon, but also at the federal level. And I really want to mention that this state heavily invested in the Yukon's infrastructure. So if you look at the facilities and and what we have in order to collaborate with industry and and be creative, we truly have some of the -the state-of-art facilities. And that will not happen without significant state commitment and investment into Yukon. Let's talk about that for a moment, if we may, earlier this year. There was a little bit of bumping of heads between yourself and obviously the state legislator and governor Lamont. It did get itself sorted out, but there is always that question of of budget. And obviously organizations like UConn require a lot of funding. Is that smoothed out now or are there still like negotiations going on? Because I think at one point you actually said, you know, we we both have visions, but they are separate visions for UConn. You know, I think we all have the visions and I want to say where my vision aligns with governor and legislator vision that Yukon is economic engine of the state. And there is no state of Connecticut without Yukon and there is no Yukon without state. So it is really important to see what is common for us. During those conversations, we we went to state many times and talk about the challenges of our unpaid legacy costs. Those are promised but unpaid pensions. And that unpaid legacy cost in last 10 years went from 10 million to 270 million. So when you have the burden that you cannot control, it's very difficult to show how you are going to depend less on the state. And the second thing was the CBAC agreement. And we all agree, you know, that our workers have to be paid. But, you know, we also communicated from the Yukon leadership side that we don't have uh, enough resources 
to go for the salary increases that was proposed as a part of the CBAC agreement. So those are the kind of, of the different angles that we approached and so, and then we work with state and we got the approval to remove unpaid legacy costs and for that unpaid legacy cost to reduce our budget and make us budget neutral. And what that is doing for us is uh, going forward, we can be more successful with, with bringing more research dollars. We can be more successful with donors because our unpaid legacy cost was a huge, huge burden for us. One of the other things I want to pick up on with you, President Marek, is that not only UConn, but many other higher education schools, colleges, universities are seeing not as many students enrolling. What's the situation with, with UConn? And in, if you find yourself in a similar type of situation as we appear to be seeing across the nation, what do you think is driving that and how do you get over it? We don't have the similar program uh, and problem. We have the highest application numbers in the history of university, 48,000. And we accepted slightly over 6,000 students. So in stores alone, we have 330 more students. You know, the demand depends on what the parents and students perceive as a quality of education. And if you look the Wall Street Journal ranking, this year we jumped from last year of 103 for being 47th in the country. And that is based on the students' assessment of the value of education that they receive and also on the jobs and salary after graduation. So if we invest in the students and we provide the quality of education, we provide them opportunities for internships, we provide them opportunities for creativity and entrepreneurship, our students, once when they graduate from UConn, are going to do much better. And that is reflecting on the numbers of applications as well as on our ranking. Let's talk a little bit, obviously, about the education that students can get at UConn and the types of programs. I'm going to specifically target you on this because I know, President Marek, you know, you are a world leader in technologies for green energy and sustainability. Talk to us about that, because that is a big thing, not only for you, but it is also a big thing for UConn and it's a big thing for the students as well. Thank you so much, Brian, for that question. Uh, in 2010, uh, there was a, actually in 2008 by Green Bank, there was a program to bring the uh, 10 experts in the clean, sustainable energy to uh, Connecticut, to bring Connecticut to the next level when it comes to sustainability. Uh, and I was one of the faculty that was recruited based on my achievement in that area. So Yukon and Connecticut are very well known in the world and nation as a leading state when it comes to environmental justice, when it comes to, you know, social benefits, when it's come to health disparity. You know, I had been aware that Yukon and Connecticut had been the first state that has electrical car and President Roosevelt come to ride in those electrical car. And I'm aware why those cars didn't work because the materials that they picked up was on nickel-based batteries and nickel-based batteries don't have capacity like lithium-ion batteries. The first man put on the moon was because of the Yukon research with Pratt and & Whitney and, and Hamilton standards, and that was in 1969. So there is a lot of accomplishment that this state done, but maybe it's not publicly known at this point. And the first solar panels 
on the U on the White House in 1980s were put by two Yukon faculty. So Yukon has a reputation in the world as a being the pioneer of the green technology, sustainability, and, and climate change. And that is what was appealing to me. And that is what was really something that uh, Yukon put the emphasis for many years in the history that sustainability matters. Since 1975, more than 28% of Atlantic ice had, had melted. And what that means for the climate change, what that green gas house emission means. We, we are experiencing more of extreme weather and we want to protect our communities. And the climate change is real. And you will hear me talking at many settings at the conferences on the All World Summits. And I will say the climate change is a global issue, but the politics are local. And we have to work at the global or local level in order to be part of the Paris Protocol or any other protocol, because we have only one planet. And the difficulties that we have this year in Connecticut and breathing and how many patients visit pulmonary uh, departments in the hospitals because of the quality of the air and wildfire in Canada are just one of the uh, of the evidences and factors you know what is going to happen and what is ahead of us that leads me nicely on to my next question actually because just recently Yukon announced a new innovation center a combination of nursing and engineering schools coming together and it's been said it's one of the first of its kind in the nation that will help to advance healthcare again another big industry another big industry that has issues and you must be very proud of this innovation oh absolutely you know we have a donors coming to us and saying we want our students and faculty to be creative innovative want them to think what is the future of the healthcare we want to see how healthcare can benefit from discoveries in technologies and engineering, how you can help the nurses, how you can help the doctors, and how you can help patients. Because at the end of the day, it's a quality of the life. And this is where we need to work together and bring different disciplines in order to meet the needs of the society. Obviously, as president, you're very busy with many, many things. Do you get any time anymore to actually go back in the classroom and maybe do a little bit of teaching? Because yes. I'm guessing you must miss it. <laughs> yes, that's where I get all my energy. You know, I, I still have, you know, I have still have my graduate students. I have people who help me and support me but I'm still working with them on the manuscript, you know, on preparing for the conferences, on, on presentation material and making sure that they graduate on time. So, you know, classroom and students are the reason why I came to UConn. And, um, you know, that's that's where I get my inspirations. Another thing I want to ask you, and uh, it was a very nice introduction that happened again earlier this year in June. You officially announced the new Yukon Husky dog, Jonathan the 50. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that, because it is a big deal. Yeah, it is, you know, and uh, our mascot brings a lot of joy. It's a symbol of our success. And our uh, Jonathan 14 has been you know, getting some of the health issues. So we we really wanted to have the time between Jonathan 14th and bring the new puppy to campus. And, and the new puppy brought a 
lot of excitement, a lot of uh, energy. And we are so happy that we have now Jonathan 15 with us. So it was on all social medias, but more than that, everybody wanted to take the picture. We brought him to board of trustee. He was so friendly. He is such a lovely puppy. And all our students and visitors are always asking, is Jonathan somewhere around that we can take a photo? So Final question I want to put to you, President Marek, and thank you always for your time. As we say, eight months interim, a year now as well, on top of that as president of UConn. What keeps driving you to do this? Students always keep me, you know, and, and when I became a president, yeah, I have a slogan and what I truly believe is student first, you can always and Huskies forever. And I think everything that we do, I always ask how this helps our students, because what we are preparing them is for the lifelong journey of success. And our investment in them is investment in our future and in our society. UConn always means that we strive to be champions in everything that we do, and we want to do our best. And it's a great institution. Every day we are thinking how to be a better institution. And Huskies Forever, we are we are the home of 287,000 alumni that graduated from UConn. And there is so much a pride. They want to be part of UConn. They want to contribute. There are different ways how they are engaged. Some of them are coming and saying, we are retired. We are out of retirement. We want to help. We want to come to class. We want to teach. You know, many of them are giving now donations. So they understand that we cannot rely on the state budget and that has to, you know, to reduce and, and they are stepping in. So there are many ways how our alumni are really coming to celebrate what UConn done for them and what they can do for UConn. Well, President Rodenka Marek, 17th president of the University of Connecticut, thank you for your time. And of course, we are so happy that we have you leading our amazing Yukon here in the state. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Brian and Go Huskies. And it was a great pleasure talking to you and we will talk soon. <coughs> Hello? I can't. I'm in bed with the flu. <coughs> the flu? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grandma's about to crowd, sir. Man, I'll call you back. Don't get stuck at home with the flu. A flu shot is safe, effective, and you can get it at the same time as your COVID-19 vaccine. A flu shot is the best way to prevent the flu and its potentially serious complications. Don't get flu FOMO. Learn more at GetMyFluShot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. It's hurricane season, and your trees can be damaged by high winds. Green Valley Tree has you covered with our emergency tree service outside of our regular business hours. We offer emergency tree service by bucket, crane, and climbing for residential, commercial, and even municipalities across eastern Connecticut. From full tree removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken, hung up, or fractured tree limbs. Call our emergency hotline on 860-966-5710 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. The Connecticut State Department of Education and the Killingly Board of Education are set to butt heads at an official hearing set for October 11th. 
A recently released report from the state calls ongoing reluctance from the Killingly School Board to recognise concerns over mental health needs for its students following complaints filed by Killingly residents back in 2022. However, the Killingly Board of Education chairman has hit back, saying the school district has undertaken work towards helping students and in a statement outlined 14 initiatives and actions they have undertaken, including the hiring of a director of mental health. The disagreement comes after Mike McEwen, the Connecticut State Department of Education's Director of Legal and Governmental Affairs, said in his most recent report about the school district that there is nothing to suggest that the Killingly Board has experienced an epiphanic shift in its recent history of denial of and indifference to student mental health needs and now sincerely recognise both its obligation to address student emotional needs and the entwinement of those needs with school attendance and academic success. The Killingly BOE took issue with McEwen's comments, saying a state panel should reject his report as it was late and because it was filed as a position statement rather than a memorandum. Killingly BOE Chairman Norm Ferrin said in a statement, Attorney McEwen did not provide any specific facts or any specific legal basis in that position statement. Therefore, Attorney McEwen's position statement on its face is non-responsive to the hearing panel's clear directive and should be rejected on that basis. Voting advocacy organisations in Connecticut are calling on Governor Lamont to ensure the state's election infrastructure is ready for the 2024 presidential election. Catherine Carley from the Connecticut News Service reports. The groups, including the ACLU and League of Women Voters, say too many voting tabulation machines are defective and cause delays at polling stations. John Erling Hauser with AARP Connecticut says they're just outdated and unreliable. They don't manufacture them anymore. They break down frequently. People are having to get replacement parts for the voting machines on things like eBay. Erling Hauser says the legislature approved a bill allowing the state to borrow more than $25 million to replace the vote tabulators, but Lamont and other members of the state bond commission must hold a formal vote to spend the money. Voting rights groups say Connecticut has made some recent strides in improving access to the ballot, including the recent approval of early voting and the restoration of voting rights to people on parole. Erling Hauser says new tabulator machines are needed to support those accomplishments and handle the volume of voters expected for next year's presidential election. We have a pretty good history here in Connecticut. This will only enhance that and make people feel more confident that when they cast their ballot, it's private and it will be counted. Election officials say newer high-speed machines allow poll workers to quickly process large stacks of ballots or handle absentee ballots that are often folded when received by a town clerk. The current tabulators often jam when fed folded paper, creating lines on Election Day and potentially leading to the shutdown of polling sites. For Connecticut News Service, I'm Catherine Carley. The Connecticut State Library Service is hitting the road in a new outreach van they will use to bring services to residents and communities across the state. Deborah Shander is the state librarian and explained what people can expect from the new service. Not only would there be mobile museum programs, but offerings from the state archives, the Connecticut Library for Accessible Books, our three reference departments, and training and program for public, academic, and special librarians across the state. Every aspect of our agency's work can go to fairs, conferences, parades, veteran centers, senior centers, libraries, historical societies, and more. The -the state-of-the-art library on wheels has been made possible with funding from the Institute of Museum and Library Services, as well as money from the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA. 
Dawn Lavelle is director of the Division of Library Development and explained how her original concept for the van was then interpreted by a designer. I was amazed at the details that he pulled out from the charter oak frame to the marble floor to the ceiling in our reading room. You'll see those details in the van. And that was Frank's vision. He put aside my desire, but there's also wonderful details, photographs, images from everything that the State Library does to serve the residents of Connecticut. The van is fitted with digital technology and by travelling around the state will mean people can have access to the library's full resources without having to travel to the library itself in Hartford. And a reminder that a new statewide prescription drug discount card officially launches on Monday 2nd October and is available for every resident in Connecticut to use. Called Array RX Card, the new card is free and offers up to 80% discount on generic drugs and 20% on branded drugs and is accepted in 98% of pharmacies in Connecticut. The card cannot be used in conjunction with your health insurance, however, and is aimed at those with high health insurance deductibles, uninsured or undocumented citizens and also seniors on Medicare. To sign up for the card, which you can only do on Monday 2nd October when it goes live, visit the website arrayrxcard.com. That's A-R-R-A-Y-R-X-Card.com. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 